Uh, hey, everybody, who's glad to be at church today? Come on, can we just give God praise today? Give God thanks for this is the day he's made. Yeah, and a big hello to everybody who's online as well, whether um, you're watching right now live or maybe you're watching replayed later on down in the weeks or months ahead. We want to say welcome to you as well. So come on, church. Let's make some noise for everybody who's online. Make, make them, let's let, welcome them to church today. Glad you're with us, and, um, and I got to celebrate last week. Uh, my family and I, we, we had the opportunity to go to Chattanooga, Tennessee, to be there for the very first service of Five Stones Church. Pastor Tom Watson, who's, he's no stranger to City Hope, and uh, they had their first service. 488 people were there in attendance. Two people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Come on, that's awesome. We're so proud of them, and, and uh, City Hope has, has been uh, closely walking with Five Stones as they've gotten ready to launch that church. We've actually sent two other couples from, from our church to help them start that church in Chattanooga. Come on, who, who doesn't want to move, move to Chattanooga? Come on. It's just incredibly beautiful there and humid like it is here today. Come on, somebody. It's just, uh, it is humid, but I'll tell you what. Um, I love our heart for church planting here at church. I mean, we, we have, just since the beginning of this year... Um, uh, we, we have planted um, over uh, 62 churches. We've helped plant 62 churches. Today, nine churches are starting. This fall, there's a total of 20 churches that are beginning, brand new, and you have something to do with that. I know I don't tell you enough, but... Uh, a part of every dollar you give goes outside of our walls to help plant brand new churches. And, and 62 churches already this year. Check this out. You've given nearly $50,000 to help start brand new churches all across America. So let's, let's give God thanks for that. That's incredible. That's amazing. And you're part of that. You're part of making that happen. So uh, today we are in week three of a series that we're calling um, Re Reply All. And the idea behind this series is something that we did at Easter time. It's a survey. We, did, we actually do it at every Easter where we ask you to tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you're thinking. Tell us what you're, what, what's on your heart. What kind of subjects, what are the topics that you want us to teach on? And so every, every year we do that survey. Every year we take the results and we kind of tally them up. And we, we preach series that will help fill, fill in those needs. We preach sermon topics that will help fill those, those needs and those questions. And this series is really dedicated to the top four things that you ask for there. And, and, uh, in week one, we talked about how to deal with stress. Come on. I know y'all don't have any stress, right? No, no stress in here. Uh, and then last week, pastor Caleb did an incredible job teaching on how to know God's will for our life. Man, that was such an incredible message. But today we're going we're gonna to talk about, and this was, this was actually on the, on the teaching agenda for months, we're going to talk about how to survive life's worst moments. And I know that some of you, maybe you're here today and your worst moment was a flat tire yesterday. And somebody else's worst moment is, is the loss of a loved one. And it's, 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 it's heavy on their hearts right now. And so uh, today, as I was, actually as I was preparing this message, it reminded me of my favorite children's book. Now, it wasn't around when I was a kid. My favorite book as a kid was Curious George. Where y'all at? I love Curious George. It's my favorite. Got, I got several of those books. But uh, a book that I found, uh, found out about later in life that I thought would be perfect for today, and because it's not a very comical message, I thought we'd start off with, I'm going to read this book to you, uh, because I think we need a little bit of laughter. And the book is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Come on, it's not just a movie. It's a book, all right? And so I thought we would kick off today 
with, with what, what can we learn from Alexander, all right? And uh, if you haven't read this book to your kids, you got to read it. It's such a good book. Uh, Alexander says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. Then when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. Well, in the carpool, Miss Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I think I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Miss Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said, I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moyo was his next best friend and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone that the ice cream uh, part falls off the cone and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds in his lunch bag, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had the little sprinkles on top. Well, guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was because after school, mom took us to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I'm going to Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told everybody. And they, nobody even answered. Nobody cared. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose the white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But the shoe man said, uh, we're all sold out. Well, they, they made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk, and I was careful as could be except for my elbow. He, he also said, don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain. I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. 
When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. Come on, somebody. Don't y'all know, no matter where, you, where you're at, there's going to be some bad days along the way, even in Australia. Even when we think, if I could just get away from this place, there's still going to be a bad day there. Amen? There's just going to be some bad days along the way. And, and as we read this story, it's a cute little kid story, but here's the thing. It illustrates what's true about life, and that is things don't always go the way we want them to go. Things don't happen the way we want them to. And Alexander said... There's going to be some bad days. My mama said there's going to be days like that even in Australia. And Jesus said the same thing. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Come on, you're going to have some difficult moments. There's going to be some, some times when things aren't going so well. There's going to be some dark days ahead for you. And what I want to do today is I want to I look at 2 Corinthians. That's chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at verse 8 through 11 first. And then at the end of the message, we're going to look, through, look, we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. So we're going to take the second half for the per- first part of our message, and then the, last, the first half for the last part of our message. We're doing it in reverse today, okay? But here it is in 2 Corinthians. You can follow in your notes or on the screen. Paul says, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed about, about these troubles. I don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. He says, we were, we were under great pressure. We were having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Things weren't going the way we wanted them to go. So much so that we thought it would be better off if we weren't alive. We despaired of life itself. And I want to just stop right here and say, I, I, just, I just felt as I was preparing this that that somebody needs to hear me say today that, that you have more life to live, that it's not over yet, and that, and that, that you're, thinking it, you're thinking that it would, that maybe your family would be better off without you and that you would be better off if, if you didn't have all of the, the pain that you're dealing with today, but I'm telling you that is a permanent solution to a very temporary circumstance. And God has a plan for your life, and there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's still something that God wants to do in your life. I need you to hear that today. But Paul was there. He understood that. He understood what it meant to be under so much pressure that, God, just take me now. I don't want to do this anymore. He despaired of life. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But it's, it, it, it's, it's this. Why did, why did that happen to Paul? Why did he go through that dark day? Well, this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves and that's what we do in this life. Way too often, we try to do it ourselves. We try to make it on our own. And he says, we learned that we couldn't do that, but we needed to rely on God who raises the dead. Come on, if Jesus, if, if God can raise the dead, then he can take care of whatever we're going through today. Amen? He can do it. So Paul says, here's what we need to remember, that he has delivered us. From such deadly peril, he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And I just came this morning with a message to tell you that he has delivered you, he will deliver you, and he will continue to deliver you. Amen? Let me say it again. He has, he will, he will continue. Come on, say this with me. Say, he has, he will, and he will continue. Come on, he's going to do it. If he's done it before, he'll do it again. 
And I just need somebody to believe that today. He has, he will, and he will continue. And so here's, here's the truth of it all. If we, could, if, we could, if we could just boil it down to this, is that you're in one of three places today. All right, you're either in a difficult situation right now, you're coming out of a difficult situation, or you're about to go into a difficult situation. All right? Pastor Ben, you're supposed to be positive. I'm positive. You're about to go into a difficult situation. You're gonna go, it's going to be difficult. You're going you're gonna to face some problems along the way. And so the question is, what do I do when I'm faced with a difficult situation? What do I do on my worst day? All right? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you three stages of, of feelings, three things that you, that you go through on your worst day. When you're dealing with your difficult moment, and I don't know what that is. For some of you, it might be divorce. It might be disease. It could be death. I'm not sure what it is for you, but whatever your difficult moment is, you're going to face these three, these three emotions, these three feelings. That's, and, and, and you're trying to survive life's worst moments. But how many of you know that God doesn't just want us to survive it? Hey, everybody, he wants us to thrive after it. He wants us to, to not just survive it, but to thrive in and after it. So I'm going to give you these three stages of surviving life's worst moments. And number one is this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. There, you're you're going to have this feeling of shock. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this. How did this happen? How did we end up in this place? I can't believe it. I didn't see this coming. But I want to remind you today that God is never shocked about anything. Nothing has ever occurred to God. God has never looked over at Jesus and said, what are we going to do about this? He's never, he's never had a moment where he was unsure or uncertain about something. He's never been shocked. But how many of you know we have? We've been there. I remember in 2005, um, my mom was having a life-changing surgery. It was going to fix uh, some, some things that she was having problems with in her body. of just months of battling. And, and so I drove up from Alabama. We lived in Alabama at the time. And I drove up on a Sunday night. And, and uh, I saw my mom on, on that Sunday night before her surgery on Monday. We talked, we laughed, we, we caught up with each other, what, what was new, what was happening. And, and, um, and then the next day I came back before surgery and, and we prayed. I prayed with her and I had a chance to just sit with her for a little bit. They wheeled her back to surgery and, and we're just in the, in the room hanging out. And a few hours later, we're shocked when the doctor says, she didn't make it. And we go, well, didn't make it. This is routine. Like, what, what's the problem? She suffered cardiac arrest on the operating table. My stepdad just, he lost it. I was in shock. I couldn't even cry. I didn't even know what to say. I had to call my, I had to call my, my grandmother, my mom's mom, and tell her, hey, your baby girl didn't make it. I had to call my brothers and say, hey, mom's not here. I was in shock. I'll never forget what that felt like. And, and then a year and a three days later, we were visiting my grandmother, visiting some of my family, just, just um, connecting with them about a year after my mom's death when at one, at one o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call that says, hey, Willie passed away. My father-in-law had a massive heart attack. I remember the shock of that. Listen, when we go through that shock, I just, I, I want to just... This is some coaching for us all. When we are feeling shocked, when we're in that moment of shock, we, we are not the right people to give ourselves advice. We shouldn't. Let me say it this way. We don't need to take advice from ourselves. You know what I'm saying? 
When we're going through that shock, we don't take advice from ourselves. Why? Because our, our, our mind will say, you just need to get away. You just need to pull away. You just need to be by yourself. You just need some time to think. You just need some time to process. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to isolate you. He wants to pull you into this place where you're, a, you're away from the rest of the pack, and he can isolate you, and he can, begin to, he can begin to get some things in your mind and get you thinking in a way that's not healthy and right for you. That's a good place to say amen. But see, we, we, don't, we don't want to do that because we're humans and we, we, we want to just, we want to get away by ourselves. Can I tell you today that there is a solution to the shock and that solution's all throughout the Bible. That solution is that two are better than one. Two are better than one. Why? How is that, Pastor Ben? It's because they have a good return for their labor. See, what Solomon was saying to us is that intimacy is better than isolation. It's better for you to get in a group, get in a group where some people know what you're going through, where some people know your phone number so when you're in your darkest day, they can reach out to you. Get in a group where, where you take off the mask and you let people know the secret parts of your life so when you're having a dark day, you can reach out to them. Because two are better than one. Because when you fall down, and how many of you know we will fall down? In your, in your difficult moment, if you fall down, someone else can be there to help you up. But Mr. T said, I pity the fool. They ain't got nobody. I pity, the, I pity anyone who has no one to help him up. Pity the one who's in isolation. And it's possible for you to be in a room like this today and to be isolated in your mind. When you're, you're around a bunch of people, but you're isolated in your thoughts, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, two are better than one. And the sad thing is this. When we go through difficult moments, we have a choice. We can, we can run or we can fight, the fight or flight, right? And what a lot of people choose to do is they choose to run from their problems. I'm going to tell you today that if you're going to run in your notes, make sure you're running to God. If you're going to run, make sure that you're running to God and to other people. Make sure that you're running to some people who care about you. Make, make sure that you're running to some people who have an idea of what's going on in your life. So that's the first stage that we deal with when, when we're in life's difficult moment. The, the second stage, after shock, it turns into sorrow. It turns into sorrow. And... Uh, this is like sorrow is, is okay, right? Grief is okay. In fact, Jesus cried. The shortest Bible verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. He cried. He was crying over losing his friend Lazarus. He was, he was, he was, um, he was battling a lot of things in his mind. He was, he was the, actually the Bible says it this way. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with the deepest kinds of grief. He understands what people are, are going through. Let me, let me tell you this. Jesus was tempted and tried in every way as you and I were, yet he did not sin. He's been through, he's faced every kind of difficulty that we have faced, yet he did not budge. He did not sin. And the reason that's important is because it qualified him to be the person we run to. Who do we run to? We run to Jesus, right? So, so he was a man of sorrows. He understands what it means to, to, to have sorrow. But listen to me. 
We need a good cry, but we need to guard ourselves against being overwhelmed with sorrow that begins to, de- to, to take us down a path that's unhealthy for us. Um, let me say it this way. When the sorrow feels out of control, that's a warning sign. And we need to look at what David did. See, David was having a bad day. David uh, was on the run for his life. His son Absalom was trying to kill him. And in Psalm chapter 61, he writes this. He says, hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. What's he crying about? What's it, what, what is he crying out to God about when my heart is overwhelmed? See, when you feel like, I can't do this anymore, when you feel like this is too much, the sorrow is overwhelming, that's a warning sign. When your heart is overwhelmed, David said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Come on, somebody. Lead me to the place of your presence. Lead me to the place of security and safety. What is that place? It's a place of worship. See, I believe that David was writing about Jerusalem. He was not, he was not in Jerusalem at this time. He was running for his life. And, and Jerusalem, uh, the, uh, the, the mountain there where the tabernacle was at this time, later on it would be the temple, the temple mount. At this point, it's the tabernacle. And, and that's where the presence of God was. And I believe David is saying, God, get me back into your presence. Get me back to a place of security. Get me back to a place where I can lean on you, where I can trust in you. Get me back to a place, that, to a rock that is higher than I am. For us, that's a place of worship. That when we get into the presence of God, things begin to change. When we get into God's presence, it makes a difference. So, so when we're going through our worst moment, on our worst day, we worship because worship changes everything. It changes everything. When you're going through your, your bad day, man, throw some worship music on, just driving down the road, singing it out. Sing, sing out a song like, Christ alone, cornerstone. If you need a solid rock to stand on, the weak made strong in the Savior's love. Come on, you just begin to, and what happens is it changes the atmosphere in your life. Instead of, he said he was in his early 40s with a lot of love before me. And a moment came that stopped me on a dime. Come on, throw on some worship music. Throw on some, begin to praise, begin to worship, begin to lift up the name of Jesus because his name is greater and stronger. I like that song too, but I'm just saying. Worship pulls us into God, all right? All right, here we go. Here's the third thing. The third thing is we're going to face this on our, on our darkest day. When things aren't going the way we want them to, when, when we just faced a difficult situation, there's going to be a struggle. It's a struggle, and this struggle is, is where we begin to ask, why? Man, I've asked that question a thousand times. Why? Why, God? Why, why did this happen? Why, why am I going through this? Why did he leave me, she leave me? Why did this happen? Why won't my kids do this? Why, why, why doesn't anyone care? Why do I feel all alone? And th- this is a dark place to be in. But I wanna tell you, it's, it's, it's a place where you're not alone. God's still there. Jeremiah, he even asked this question. Jeremiah, in the Bible, he, he said, why was, I, why was I even born? God, why, why did you even create me if, if all my life is is trouble and sorrow? 
Why, why did you create me to end my life in disgrace? But here's the thing. When, when Jeremiah wrote this, he had no idea that he would end up writing two books of the Bible and he would author one of the most popular, one of the most quoted Bible verses in all of the world. He had no idea that people would be walking around today with Jeremiah 29, 11, chap, uh, tattooed on their arm, right? God has a plan for me, right? He had no idea that would happen. He couldn't see the end from the beginning. He was stuck in the middle of it. He couldn't see what was coming. He couldn't see the end result. Jesus himself said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you at, God? Why am I going through this? Why am I dealing with this? Why is this happening to me? And a lot of times it can be confusing when we're, when we're in the middle of it. When we're in the middle of the, the bad day, the difficult season, it's difficult to see the end from the beginning. We can't see what God's doing. We can't see what he's up to. Uh, we can't see where he's headed. But I want to remind you today, come on, church, I want to remind you that he is the first and the last. He is the one who knows the beginning from the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is for you and he's got you. He has, he will, and he will continue to deliver us. Amen? Over and over again, he will. But here's, here's the struggle. The struggle is that we want it to work out on earth. Come on, man, I wish my parents were alive. I wish my mom and my dad were still here. I want it to work out on earth. But what if I told you there's no promise of that? What if I told you it doesn't always work that way? In fact, um, I, I think a lot of times we, we, we want things to work the way that it did for Abraham we want it to work for the way it did for Moses. God, do for me like you did for Joshua, like you did for, like you did for Noah. Do for, do for us like you did for Esther. Lord, would you let it work it out here on earth? We read about those heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We actually did a series on that back in the summer. I would, I would encourage you to go watch the Running with the Giants series where we talk about these giants of the faith that God worked things out for them on earth. We want that, but we, we often forget to read the last six verses of Hebrews 11 that says there were other people who were tortured, and they were persecuted, and they were mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them. There were people who wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground, yet they were still commended for their faith. I want you to listen, get this, church. They were still commended for their faith even though none of them received what they had been promised. Even though it didn't work out on earth like they wanted it to, God still looked down on them and he said, that's a person of faith. That's a person who, whose heart is in the right place. Even though it didn't, it didn't work out, it, it, it didn't happen the way we, want, we wanted it to. Why? Because God had something better. Can you believe that? That God had something better. And in the darkest day, it's hard to believe that. In our darkest moment, it's hard to believe that there's something good that can come out of this. But God says in his word, he will work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's working something out. He's working out 
for our good. And so here's, here's what we've got to do. We've, we've got to know this, that when this life falls apart, I've got to keep my eyes on the life to come. All right, I may never know this side of heaven why things happened the way they did. I may never have the answers that I want. I may never know the answer to why, God, on this side of heaven. But when I feel that, I've got to remember that when this life falls apart, I look toward the life to come. What is that? I look to heaven. I look to eternity. When I'm missing my mom and dad, I remind myself, hey, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. I've got to remember those days. It's coming. Heaven's coming, everybody. All right, so I've got to remember there's a good day. There's a good day on the horizon that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy is on the way. And I don't know how long that morning is. I don't know how long it's going to take, but it will come. I promise you that. Here, here's the three keys to thriving now. We've talked about the three stages of surviving. We're just trying to make it through, and we're going to face shock, sorrow, struggle. Those are real emotions. All right? But I believe that God doesn't want us to just survive life's, life's worst moments. He wants us to thrive in and beyond life's worst moments. He doesn't want the rest of our lives to be handicapped by what has happened to us. Amen? So here we go. Let me give you three steps to thriving in life's worst moments. Number one, it's a life of surrender. Whew. Thought you'd give me something easier, Pastor Ben. <laughs> Thought you were going to give me a, a quick fix. Surrender. Surrender. Um, this is where you stop ruminating on the whys. Do you know what ruminating is? Um, a cow is a ruminating animal. Um, that means that, that the cow will eat the grass, will eat the cud, he'll chew it up. And he swallows it and he throws it back up into his, into his mouth and starts chewing it some more. That's why every time you see a cow, he's always chewing. Right? Then he swallows it again, and he throws it up again. He's ruminating. And this is exactly what we do. Uh, rumination means that we're focused, we're obsessed on the why, and we're not giving any attention to, to the solution. And that's what we do. We begin to just ruminate on the why, and we can't stop thinking about the what ifs and, and how come and, and why and all of these things. And, and, and sociologists will tell you that the more you ruminate, the more depressed you become. And so this is where we surrender. We say, God, I, I, I can't do this. And how many of you know that every, every time you regurgitate it is not as good? It's not. So, uh, so what do I do, Pastor Ben? What's the solution to surrender? How do I get past this ruminating? How do I get past this, I'm stuck in the wise. How do I do it? It's a five-letter word. Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Hey, you can't do both of these, by the way. So this is an either or, right? So you can either trust in the Lord with all your heart or you can lean on your own understanding, but you can't do both. This, this, takes, this takes it to a whole new level. I begin to trust God. I begin to put my faith in God. I begin to say, God, I don't understand it, but I trust that your way is better, that you have a plan, that you have a purpose, and I'm not going to lean on my way. I'm going to submit to your ways, and I know that when I do that, you're going to direct my paths. You're going to make my path straight. So, so 
here's the key. Trusting God is the only pathway to peace. It's the only pathway. So, so you, could, you could walk away today and you can try to find peace in the bottle, peace in a pill, peace in a, re- a relationship, but you'll be back. Because, because there's only one place that you can find peace. Jesus Christ has the answers that we need. And so we trust in God. Surrender is that moment where you say, okay, God, I'm going to let you have control. I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't understand what I'm dealing with. You're in control. I'm giving you control. I'm going to let you have your way. And I guess the question would be, have you done that? Have you surrendered? Have you put your trust in God? Or are you still leaning on your way? All right? So we've, we've got to surrender. Here's the second thing. All right? If, if as, we, as we thrive after our worst day, and listen, I under, here, here's what I know and I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that we just do these things and all of a sudden we're, we're no longer in our worst day. I, I get it. It's a process, okay? And that's why, that's why this second point is so important. If we want to thrive in our worst days, we've got, to let, we've got to engage and allow God to take us on a process of sanctification. And what this means is that God is working some things in us, and he's working some things out of us. All right, let me say it this way. Um, this is where your loss becomes a lesson. This is where you begin to learn some things. This is where you you realize that God didn't create the pain. God didn't make this thing happen in my life, but he's going to use the pain. Are you following me? He didn't cause it to happen, but he's going to teach me something now that this has happened. He didn't create the pain, but he will use the pain. All right? And we see this actually through the scripture. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, We continue to shout praise even when we are hemmed in with troubles. This is probably not on our refrigerator. Praise God for the troubles. Nobody does that, right? But, we, but he says, maybe we should. Because we know that the troubles can develop passionate patience in us. Other translations use the word perseverance. These, these tests, these trials, these dark days that we go through, they, they make us into who we are today. All right? Let me show it to you. He says, um, these troubles can develop passionate patience in us, and that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue in our lives. Now, I want you to just have in your mind a, a silversmith or a blacksmith who's, who's making a sword, or, or, or they're hammering out the, the metal, the steel. And what does it take? It takes heat. It takes friction. It takes some pounding. It takes some iron sharpening iron. It's, it's, it never happens just by happenstance. It happens through the, through the troubles and the trials of life. We become what God calls us to become. And, and, and it's, usually not, it's usually not something we want. But it's that trial. It's that circumstance, that, that situation that, that creates the opportunity for God to Work perseverance on the inside of us. And here's what we have to do. We have to change our perspective. Okay? Because in, in our American Christian culture, I think we bought into a lie that says that my faith in God exempts me from troubles. 
but I would, I would propose to you today that your faith doesn't exempt you from troubles. It helps you endure the troubles. I'm going to say that again. Your faith in God doesn't exempt you from the troubles. It helps you endure those hard times. So what do we have to do? We have to change our perspective. I, I know that troubles are going to come. I'm not living my life looking for them. I'm not a Debbie Downer. I'm not Eeyore. Everything's just so bad. I'm not, no, no, I'm not doing that. But I know that when I face a difficult time, it's not the end. Heaven's coming, everybody. Heaven's still coming. So, so watch this. Um, here's what we have to do. We're not going to feel like doing this, by the way. But we have to do this. We have to be truly glad. <laughs> and somebody's like, huh, glad? What are you talking about, glad that I'm facing these difficulties? Well, he says there's joy ahead. You're not going to feel the joy now. You're in the difficult moment now. You won't feel it now, but there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have, have to endure some trials for a little while. It's not going to stay that way forever. The same way that those waves came crashing into your life, by God's grace, they will recede. It's not always going to be the way that it is right now. There's joy ahead, and these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested. Your faith is being tested as, as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, how does your faith remain strong? It's, it's because of trials. It's because you faced some things in life. Your faith isn't strong because you, you just woke up one morning and said, Man, I'm going to have strong faith today, boy. Let's go, baby doll. Come on. I'm, I'm going to have strong faith today. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's trials. It's through many trials. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day that Christ Jesus is revealed. So here's, here's what I want to tell you today. Um, and I've got to hurry. Is that my pain is a jail that imprisons me or it can be a school that shapes me. And it's your choice. You get to choose whether it's a cell that confines you or whether it's a school that shapes you. Is, is it a school that empowers you or a jail that imprisons you? You get to choose. And, and here's, here's what I believe, is that we choose the result of our pain. And I want to I just ask you today, don't let your pain go to waste. I hope that makes sense to you. Don't let your pain go to waste. Don't let it just be something that you, you keep going through the same things over and over and over again and you never learn the thing that God wants you to learn through that trial. So um, if there's one thing that I think can accelerate the, the thriving in your worst day, we, we, um, we know that um, we have to surrender we know that there's a sanctification process, but the third part that I think will help make sense of everything that you go through in life, everything you go through in life, is to lead you to a life of service. And some of you already are on the same page with me. But what I mean by that is that the things you go through on this earth, is, it, it shouldn't be pain it's wasted, it should have a purpose to it. Let me say it this way. Every pain you experience does have a purpose. And that purpose 
is to make a difference in the lives of other people. And I want to do my best to show you this today. And I've seen this in my own life. I've seen how when, when other people, their, their parents pass away, hey, I can identify with that. Especially a young person, a seven-year-old, whose father dies. I, can, I, I get it. I've been there. A 22-year-old whose mom is suddenly gone. I, I get that. I can identify with that. Now, somebody who's dealing with purity issues, I, I know what that's like. It was a struggle for a big part of my life, and now God set me free from that, so now I can help some other people. Do you, know, you see what I'm saying? Like my pain now has a purpose. Some of you, you've been in addiction, and you've walked through some things, and I want to tell you today that your pain has a purpose. You, 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 your pain is not wasted. I want you to, I, I'm just trying to help you see that God can use whatever you've been through on this earth. He can use it to help somebody else. He can use it to make a difference in somebody else. Your pain has a purpose. Your misery has a ministry. Your mess up has a message. Your test has a testimony. There's something that God wants to do on the inside of you. And some of you said, not me. God can't use somebody like me. I'm damaged goods. I've gone too far. I've done too much. I've, 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 I've gone the other way. God could never use somebody like me. But I want to tell you today that, that we learn better from people who've messed up than people who are perfect. You know why? Because there ain't no perfect people to learn from. Bless the Lord, I've never had a struggle in my life. Saved, three, three years old, came out of the womb perfect in every way. Nobody, want, nobody can identify with that. But you put somebody up here who says, man, my life was a wreck. I was all over the place, battling addiction. Somebody out there is going to go, that's how you do it. And what, what you're doing is you're, you're helping somebody else. You're making a difference in the life of somebody else. I, I got I to hurry. I got to hurry. So here's what we do. Let's, let, let's go back to our, our verse that we started with, okay? I want to show you now the purpose of your pain, okay? The purpose of your bad day, the purpose of your worst moment is this. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who does what? Who comforts us in all of our troubles. Why does he comfort us, Pastor Ben? So that we can comfort are you saying that I go through stuff on this earth so that God can use me to comfort somebody else who's been through the same thing that I've been through? Exactly. That God will use those things that you've been through to comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly, notice the word abundantly, abundantly in sufferings, we're going to go through some things on this earth. There's going to be some moments that we want to give up, we want to throw in the towel. There's going to be some moments where we're faced with difficulties, but in the same way that we face those sufferings, the comfort will also abound through Christ Jesus. We're going to be comforted in the same way that we've, that we've suffered. So if we're, if we're distressed, if I go through something in this life, check it out. It's for your comfort and salvation. And I believe that. I believe that there are things I've been through in my life. It's for your sake. It's to help you. And if I could say it this boldly, there are things that you've been through, that you're going through, and that you will go through in this life that's going to help somebody in your small group. It's going to help somebody when you're sitting around in that circle and they say, hey, it's my darkest day. This, this just happened. And you can say, hey, I've been there. I know what you're going through. It's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. 
which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you share in the things that we've been through, you also share in our comfort. Whatever you've been through is to help somebody else make it through that same thing. But you have to make some decisions. You have to make some choices. You have to choose to run to God and to others. You have to choose to worship. You have to choose to focus on eternity. You have to choose to trust God. You have to choose to learn from the the problems and the difficulties in life. You have to choose to use your pain to help other people. Because you can't control what happens to you. But with God's help, you can choose how you respond. You can't help what, I can't control it. I can't control what happens to me in this life, but I can choose. With God's help, I can choose how I respond. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me today? Let me close this out in prayer. God, we're grateful. Lord, I pray right now for every person who's, right now, today's their worst day. Today, they're in the middle of their worst moment something they, would, they never thought they would face, they never thought they would have to deal with. And Holy Spirit, you know every person in the room. You know every person who's, who's in a struggle. You know who, every person who's just trying to survive life's worst moments. Right now, I pray that the comfort of the Holy Spirit would just fill this room today. Father, I'm praying that the God of all comfort would speak to our hearts in every circumstance for those who are in a season of shock or or sorrow or struggle wondering why where are you God I pray that you'd make yourself real today let the God of peace be in this place today the God of comfort Lord help us to realize that in some strange way the reason we go through things on this earth the lesson of it all is so that we can comfort someone else who goes through the same thing use us God use us in every way help us to not disqualify ourselves from the purpose of our pain with your head still bowed and your eyes closed today uh, there's some of you here today you still haven't you still haven't surrendered your life to Christ you like that's, that's the first key you can't take God up on this process of sanctification you can't you can't let him work these these new things in your life you can't let him do the things that he's wanting to do in your life you can't live the life of service that he's called you to live because you first haven't received a relationship with Jesus and that's the first step today it begins with a life-giving relationship with Jesus it begins knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're far from him you feel distant you feel the weight of your guilt you feel the weight of your sin the weight of your uh, the weight of your bad day maybe you've taken the blame and I'll tell you today you can't take the blame because in good times you'll take the credit it's time for you to just open up your heart and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to make him the Lord of your life to surrender Surrender control of your life to him. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand as high as you can, and I want to lead you in a prayer. If that's you, you're ready to surrender. One, two, three. Come on, all over this place. Slip up your hand boldly, courageously. I'm going all in today. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you in the back. Anyone else? 
Oh, three hands up. Anyone else? Sam, I'm going all in today, Pastor Ben. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I surrender. Thank you. I see you back there. I'm proud of you. Giving it all to God, all to Him. Come on. Let's say this prayer together, all of us together. Let's say it for every hand that went up. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender. I'm not doing it my way. I surrender to your way. Would you forgive me? Cleanse me. Wash me. Make me new. I'm ready to be sanctified. To live a life of service. Take my pain. Use it for your glory. Your honor. From this day forward, I will serve you the best that I know how. In Jesus' name.